the children of Israel have left Mount Sinai. They're on the move. They've come to Kadesh Barina, and they're on the edge of the promised land. And God gives this decree in chapter 13, the beginning, to Moses to send out men to spy out the land and to give a report. But one thing that's very important in chapter 13, it's there in the very second verse, where the Lord is speaking. He says, send men to spout the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. That's such an important phrase because that is the foundation and the undergirding phrase for the rest of the, everything we're going to study tonight. As God is sending out the spies, he reminds them, I'm giving them this land. I'm giving them this land. It's what I'm giving to you. So God's reaffirming his promise that he's going to take his people of covenant that he made the covenant with at Mount Sinai, and he's going to bring to the promised land the land flowing with milk and honey. It's the foundation. If you have the foundation, you can build it right. But if you don't have the foundation of faith in the Lord and his promises, then you're in trouble, and we'll see all that tonight. So he made that promise. They chose 12 leaders from the 12 tribes. And if you know the story, they're going to go out, they're going to spy out the land, and there's two heroes in this group. It's Caleb and Joshua. He's referred to as Hosea originally, and then we're told in the text that God, that Moses and God changed his name to Joshua. Moses called Hosea the son of Nun, Joshua. That's in verse 16. So then they go out to spot, they, they pick the 12 men. Each man represent hundreds of thousands of people, just like the military leaders that were part of the census earlier in the book, but these are different men. And then we pick it up in verse 17. We're going to read this text. Then Moses sent them, these 12 men, to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor. Whether there are forests or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land back now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So here, they're being sent out during the time of the first ripe grapes, that, that time of season. They're being told to have good courage to bring back some of the fruit so to actually apprehend and take hold of the promises because God was promising this land. So he's saying, bring back props. Bring back and show us uh, evidence of how good the land is, the land flowing with milk and honey that God's going to give to us. But that phrase, see what the land is like. And then we also know, I got to give a bit of a survey as we break down text. We also know they go out into the land, they spy it out for 40 days, they come back, and there's two reports. There's a, a bad report from the multitude of 10, there's a favorable report from Joshua and Caleb, and then there's a night where they wrestle with God, the people, and they get a, they're going to choose the report of unbelief. Then they're rejected by the Lord, everyone over 20, except Joshua and Caleb. And then God goes forward. In fact, next week when you come to chapter 15, he just starts all over with the next generation. He just reloads and goes forward from there. And so this story is a very famous story in the Bible because Joshua and Caleb are heroes. There's 10 men. Eventually, they're actually struck down for stumbling the people in their unbelief. They don't get to enter in anything, and their unbelief is revealed, and it's a tragedy. And then the people, having been rejected by God, everyone over 20, that's over 600,000 people, they go up and attempt to take the land at the end of chapter 14 because they, they want to make something right, which already made wrong, but it was too late. It's just too late. They crossed the line that they couldn't come back from, and God was not with them. The Ark of the Covenant didn't go with them, and Moses didn't send them out, and he didn't go with them either. And certainly Joshua, the commander of the armies, did not go either. So that's the panoramic view of this text that we're looking at, these 12 spies. 
So tonight, as we break it down topically and think about things, when they came back from spying out the land, they had to decide, were they going to see things through the eyes of faith? Were they going to see things with the big God and big promises and little obstacles? Or, or were they going to see things where they had little faith, little God, big obstacles, impossibilities? With God, all things are possible, but in unbelief, so much is never going to happen. And it was a test. It was a spiritual test for these 12 men and how it would influence and impact their entire generation. So the first thing we see tonight when we pick up in verse 26, we're going to see the two perspectives. So now let's look at this. Now, when they came back, they departed and they came back to Moses. So this is after they came back from spying out the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. They, they brought the fruit. Nevertheless, this is an uh-oh moment. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and they're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, No, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying, The land through which we've gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in our men of great stature. And then we saw, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. Two reports. Two perspectives. You know, there's always two ways to look at things. We often say some people see the glass half full, some people see the glass half empty, some people are pretty pragmatic. It's a half glass of water, right? And that's what we're working with here. Well, it, a half glass of water is a half glass of water, and from there you can go forward and say it's half full because you're acknowledging reality, but you're optimistic about where things can go from that. But some people, they don't even see half glass of water. They just say it's half empty, and that's the way it is. And in the human experience, we have to decide if we're going to be people of faith or people of unbelief. Now, Jesus came, and when we put our faith and trust in him, we pass from death to life, and we have a saving faith. As it says in Hebrews, we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we don't have a random faith. We have a deliberate faith in who he is, what he came to do, what he did, his ascension, where he's at, and that he's coming. An absolute faith, an absolute son of God, the savior of the world, and so our faith is in Jesus. When people attack our faith or question our faith, our faith speaks for itself in that our faith is in a person, not so much a creed or guidelines or rules and regulations or various acts of penance that we might do. Ultimately, we have a relationship with the living God, and we've responded to what the Father's done because he so loved the world, he gave his son, that whoever believes in him would not perish by everlasting life. That's our faith is in Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. So he is the head of the church. He's the center of the universe. And our faith is in Jesus. We're the church tonight. And our faith is in Jesus. See, gathering tonight on the 21st of November in the state of California in 2020, my confidence as a pastor of the church 
and my obedience to him and in teaching his word and leading his flock is that I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that he's over all things. He is through whom all things are made and for whom all things are made. It is to whom, him to whom we must bow the knee and confess that he's the Lord, either in time, through a saving faith, or eternity, when being cast out from the presence of the Lord. It is that faith that puts us in the land's book of life, where we pass from death to life. And so, having received Christ, if we receive Christ by faith, we, we pass from death to life, and we're no longer under condemnation, because we already were, and we pass to justification. And so, we were told by Jesus that we have abundant life. We're told that he's spoken these things that we would have joy and our joy would be full in him. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And there's joy in that. So we realize as followers of Christ that the disposition of the gospel and someone who's been born again is one of optimism and is one of faith based upon who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what he's doing in us and through us, and ultimately what he has for us. So we should see, you know, we're not ignoring reality. Reality is there's some pretty serious realities going on right now in the state of California, United States of America, and the entire planet. It's very, we're hanging over the cusp of a cliff right now, the entire planet. I'm not ignoring the realities, but as I've been saying in public forums, I know that Jesus is over all things. He is the king. I see the king. I believe in the king. And the king is coming. It's return of the king. And that's what we're moving toward. So there's a reality. I'm not ignoring the reality that, you know, I'm willing to be front and center on this hill for Jesus tonight. But I'm optimistic in that because I know he spoke to me and therefore I'm not moved and I was possibly the Ephesian elders, nor do I count my life dear to me that it might please him who called me and fulfill the ministry he's entrusted to me. So we can, through faith in Jesus Christ, look at any situation and say, yeah, this is reality, but God's bigger than that and we have faith. And, and so whatever setback comes, we can look at Romans 8, 28 and say, hey, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, whether it's my personal life, my personal health, my personal finances, personal relationships, or my family on a broader scale, or the church, community, a country, or a global government emerging that wants to rule everybody and censor everybody, right? Like, God is bigger than that. I mean, God help us if we don't think God is bigger than Zuckerberg. I mean, why are we even here? If you don't think that Jesus Christ has more power and more authority to do what he wants to do over these oligarchs, these masters of the universe that are trying to silence the gospel and silence free speech in this country, man, you got a small God. The reality is they're doing these things, but the optimism of faith is Jesus is over it. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing against the Lord and his anointed? He'll bring them to nothing. The glory of man is the grass of the field that grows, it withers, and it fades away. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. These people have lived since the dawn of creation, Cain killing his brother. And, and they came off the ark, and the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they produced children, and they did the same thing. Give them one generation to build the Tower of Babel with a global religion devoid of God. And God scatters them, right? So it's like there's nothing new under the sun. People abusing power, ruling over people, there's nothing new. There's only two ways to govern, with the marketplace of thought or by force. And we might lose the marketplace of thought where the majority of people agree they're good ideas. Because right now, it seems like a lot of people are walking around in a stupor. Right? That's reality. But Jesus is bigger than that reality. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't move us. It should not move you. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. 
And so all things do work together for good in the life of the church in every generation and in the life of every believer. I've read Fox's Book of Martyrs more than once. I've studied church history for 33 years. Trust me, it's a good ending even on a bad day that seems like a bad ending. They can execute John and Betty Stam in China, the Chinese, in the late 30s when their child's been hidden in the village. And that seems like it's the end of John and Betty Stam. But it's not the end of John and Betty Stam. They're in glory. And we're going to be in glory. So this is all just, this is all just preparing us for eternity. And it's preparing us to have depth of character in eternity. And to be entrusted with great things in eternity. So we need to look at our lives right now. The person in the mirror. The people in our house. The people in our community. The church in America. This church. Calvary Movement. Beyond that. The bigger church worldwide. And we need to see things with faith. We need to believe that God's on the move. Because he is. The arm, like we saw last week. Is the arm of the Lord shortened? And now you'll see what I'll do. When I pour out my spirit. No. He's not shortened. So. Those spies came back, and there was two perspectives. And there was one perspective of like, oh, there's giants and these people. They can, they can take the president's title off Facebook. Like, whoever thought of doing something like that when someone's still the president? You're just like, really? Like, is this high school, like, running for office in high school where you tear down the person's, you know, poster board? Like, because that's kind of what we did at Carlsbad in the 70s. I don't know. Like, I never ran for president, but I remember people doing stuff like that. Like, what is this? It's the sons of Adam being the sons of Adam. And the daughters of Eve being the daughters of Eve, devoid of the power of God. And we can look at all this stuff and we can have a bad report. Oh, it's so scary out there. It's so scary out there. Listen, if you want to be afraid, there's no shortage of things that can whip up in your mind and your imagination with the help of the devil, the father of lies. And just whip it up into a frenzy where all you see is giants. And by the time you're done, you look in the mirror, you know what you see? A little teeny grasshopper. You see giants everywhere. Giants, giants, giants. It's like Wizard of Oz. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Right? It's just like, listen, God is in control. And we got we to gotta look at things. This is reality. And then we got to look at things like, hey, these are big grapes. This is what he promised us. Remember this verse number two of chapter 13? He's given it to us. We got to go now. Let's go. Look what he said. He says, hey, hey everyone, he quieted the people. I'll take, this is what I said. Hey, you guys shut up for a minute. That's what he's saying. Just quiet. Let us go up at once. See, that's what faith does. Faith is in the moment. Faith is on the move. And faith doesn't double clutch. Take the shot. Submit it. Go now. I come from that pro-surfing background. You either go for it or you get lost. Go, we say go big or go home. You got to go. For 10 years of my life, man, when that 15, 20-footer came your way of pipe, you got to go. You back out once, you're never getting that wave again. No one will ever let you get that wave again. You better go. Especially if the guys are calling you, you got to go. Faith goes. Faith just sees the opportunity, not the obstacles. And that's what faith does. And I love Caleb. Hey, we got to go. We got to go. Right now, we got to go. Let's go. Right now. Right now. I think, no, put your mask on. Nothing against mask. I have to wear a mask, you know. No. No, no. You know, like, I, again, don't misunderstand. That's a little bit of humor. I wear a mask and I'm good, all right? So, but you know, you get me. It's just like, oh, ooh, ooh. you know, it's like, listen, you know what? I don't fear this. I don't fear that. And listen, don't cry for me if I die from COVID, right? Don't cry for me. It'll put me in glory. And the odds are like 0.001 that I'm not going to die from COVID, right? And I'm just calling it the way it is. We're family here. It's Thanksgiving dinner. Pops just have a little conversation with the family. 
just, it's just the way it is, you know. So it's so relevant. Isn't the word of God relevant? Like, I'm just, this is so applicable. I'm, I'm so, everyone's in fear. Like, you know, and it's like, listen, when it's your time, it's your time. Scott prayed it earlier. The days fashioned for us when as yet there's none of them. Psalm 139. The days are fashioned for you. And guess what? They're fashioned before you before you're formed in the womb. So the exact day you're going to die on, it's already determined. So sit back. Enjoy the ride. God already knows. And I don't want to be here a day shorter than what he has for me, and I don't want to be here a day longer. Let the reader understand. Our life is in his hands. So we need to walk in faith, and we need to see the perspective of faith. So don't get discouraged, because there's so much toxic stuff out there. It is so toxic, it's incredible. And forget it. See Jesus... See the kingdom, hear his voice fulfill today. Isn't it Jesus said, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. You got plenty of trouble today. Yeah, Yeah. just sufficient. Don't worry about it. It'll all work out. It's what politicians and lawyers and people do, you know. It'll play out, and Jesus is on the throne every day of every generation, and then he's on the throne in glory when this is all said and done in the new heaven and new earth. So we need the perspective of faith, not unbelief. These 10 guys, I kind of covered them on Tuesday night. I don't want to talk about them. They're nothing. They're nobody. They're nobody. They were entrenched in unbelief. They gave a bad report. They stumbled millions of people. They died in the wilderness. Actually, they died, they died right away. They were struck down by the Lord, and their descendants bore the brunt of their infidelity spiritually. I don't even care who their names are. They mean nothing. They're not in the Lamb's Book of Life. They mean nothing. They're a warning to us not to be like them. So if you want to know their names and try and pronounce them, go for it. All right? So the two perspectives. Our perspective is based upon who God is, his promises, what he's promised to do, what he's going to do, what he's already done, and what he's coming to do. And we should not be moved. Now, the second thing we see is two directions. Because once you decide to live by faith or unbelief, you're, you're, you're carving out a direction. So as we come to chapter 14, this is what happens with unbelief. So the, all the congregation, verse 1, lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all, they wept. Yeah, unbelief will always crush you. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, this wilderness Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephneh, who were among those who had spied the lamb, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, now they're ripping their clothes, right? They're just ripping their clothes like, rah, it's like they're serious. They're ripping their clothes. And they said, the land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. There's only two directions in life, forward or backwards. 
just says there's only two perspectives, faith or unbelief. There's only two directions. Unbelief will always take you backwards. If you harden your heart to the Lord, you will drift, and you will fall into sin, and you will fade. I was actually speaking with someone today about this, that as a pastor for over three decades, you see people fade, and it's a gradual fading, like Hebrews warns about drifting, and you see them fade, and they literally fade. They, they, I mean, if you've ever done this, don't feel bad, but you'll see them fade, like where they sit in the sanctuary. They might go from here to there to there, and then they fade right out the door. I'm not kidding. It's like science and human behavior. Like, you just, you just see it. It's like if you're a running back at a college, and you're going to transfer, you start fading back in the team meetings, right? You sit in the back when they're in a team meeting, because you're going to be transferring from UCLA, and you're going to be going to some Mountain West school, San Diego State or something. You start to fade. It's what people do at work. We understand that. You fade away. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. And for someone who is in a covenant with God, those are the two choices. And there's so many warnings in the New Testament about going backwards with the Lord. These people agreed to the covenant. These leaders were supposed to be an example to the hundreds of thousands of people they represented and influenced for the covenant. And they're going backwards. Now, we know that Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of the devil. And slavery is a type of bondage to sin. They're going backwards. And, you know, that's, that's what happens. And you see people, they might have five years, 10 years, 20 years of a great walk with the Lord, and then you watch them fade. And we've even had prayer requests from people in this congregation where family members who love the Lord and were doing great for years, suddenly, three months, they look like this. Six months, it looks like that. And a year later, they're homeless and on the street, and they're out of their minds. It's never going to be a good ending because the wage of sin is death. And, of course, there's a physical death in that, but there's spiritual death. Sin destroys. It destroys marriages. It destroys joy. It destroys relationships. It destroys careers. It, sin destroys. And for the follower of Christ or someone confessing the Lord, it's forward or backwards. Now, these are the choices. Think about this. A couple million people, at least 600,000 soldiers over the age of 20, are forever recorded for us in the Bible as listening to 10 leaders, the majority, who said, we should have died here, we should have died there, we need a new leader to take us back to Egypt. That is the worst counsel ever. But, you know, peer pressure's like that. Let's all go off the cliff together. We're all in this together. Why are you opposed to being, you know, why are you wrecking this together plan, right? And it's a plan of unbelief. It's going backwards. It's going away from the Lord. It's going away from the promises. It's going in reverse for what God has for the future. We cannot do that. And these 600,000 plus soldiers had one of the greatest military leaders in human history, Joshua, standing in front of them, begging them to go forward immediately into the plans of God. Ten, saying, let's go backwards. Two, Caleb, another one of the greatest military leaders in human history. Warrior. Now, Joshua led an army. So you think like Hannibal, all these great famous war leaders, MacArthur, people like that. But like Caleb in military, Medal of Honor. Like he's the highest level. Like he's not just bronze star, silver star, purple heart. Like Caleb is one of the baddest dudes that ever went to war. He was a warrior for the Lord across the board. So you've got Caleb at the age of 40 and you've got Joshua who's going to be the commander of the Lord's army and already has defeated the Amalekites once is going to whip these giants on the east side of the Jordan River. 
You're looking at two of the greatest military leaders of all time in human history, and you reject their counsel to go forward. And you heed the counsel of 10 cowards who are testing the Lord for the 10th time, who God is going to strike down in a matter of a day or so, and you listen to the bad counsel. So let me ask us now tonight, and you personally, whose counsel are you listening to? God's word, the Holy Spirit, or men, and men who abuse power? Whose counsel is running your life? Hey, listen, there's nothing new to understand. I've been saying this, and now it's really come to a head. Hey, it's been going on for 2,000 years. Jesus or Caesar? Because every generation of the church has to make those decisions. Every generation. At some point, we have to decide Jesus is the king. And these kingdoms are in conflict. It's kind of tough, though, in one way, because we don't take a kingdom by force. Like Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom of this world, we take it by force, but we're not doing that. So it's kind of tough that way, because like, ah, oh, you can't, you know, it's just like, all you can do is drop to your knees, right, and pray. Which is the good thing about it, it's like, it's not our battles. It's the battle, what did David say to God? The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. We were singing the song earlier. He's fighting our battles. So in one sense, it's very liberating. We don't have to organize some great resistance to anything. God holds everyone's breath in the palm of his hands. If it's over, it's over for somebody. Like I was saying earlier with me, and so it is for other people. And while God never sanctions evil, he always, like a chessboard, when evil thinks it's about to say, evil goes, oh, check, and then check, and check, and it thinks it's moving in on checkmate, and then the Lord just blows it up. And the king just appears, and everyone falls down as good as dead, and the king says, checkmate. That's who we serve, the king of the board, literally. And he's got the final say. So we want to go forward. And I don't know what forward looks like as a whole, but I know what it looks like tonight. I don't know what forward looks like in January. I don't know what it looks like next year, 2022. I don't know. But I know what forward looks like tonight. And it's always like Philippians, forward, onward, upward. And that's the direction we're going. We're moving toward the promised land. We are going from glory to glory. We're being transformed from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians says, and we're going forward. And like the song says, though none go with me, yet I will follow. And that's how we have to be. That's what I have to think. Think how hard it was to be Joshua and Caleb that night where people want to pick up rocks and stone you. You, think that you see the venom going on in our country right now. These guys, they were, they were going to kill them. But if God doesn't keep you alive as Joshua and Caleb, who's going to keep you alive? And if God doesn't keep you alive with your name inserted, who's going to keep you alive? We are untouchable until the Lord is done with us. We are literally untouchable in God's will until he's done with us. And that's why we read, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. He's going to teach us to trust in him more and more and more and more. And as we're running with the foot soldiers, he's preparing us to run with the horsemen more and more and more. That's what he's doing. And I want to embrace that. I want, I want to embrace it. It's all a vapor. All the distractions that God's flushing out of your life this year, they're meant to be flushed out. All the wasted time. My wife never sends me Bible messages because like, she knows I'm busy, like, you know, like listen to this study by Greg Glory or something. But she sent me one a week ago. So that has a lot of credibility, right? Like, I mean, you should listen to this. John Corson. And he talked about Peter John banging pans as a two-year-old in the kitchen. Of course, Peter John's in glory now with the Lord, one of his sons. And 
banging pots and pans, and he wanted Dad to sit down with him, so John's banging pots and pans with Peter John, and he said, but when Peter John goes to bed, he doesn't come back to bang pots and pans like that's the greatest joy he's able, capable of experiencing. That was Peter John's level of experiencing joy as a two-year-old, banging pots and pans in the kitchen. John said his greatest joy as an adult is a sunset from Waikiki, right? Like what brings him, wow, the beauty of it. So the point was, is your depth of, depth of understanding of the glory and the greatness of God in eternity. And the point John Corson was making it, as we let God work in our life, as we go through sufferings and trials and tribulations that refine us and make us more like Christ, he's given us a greater depth so when we get to heaven, we're not banging pots and pans. That we have a much higher cognitive capacity for glory. And, and, you know, he articulated what I know to be true, but it just so resonated with me. And he talked about the worthlessness of hours and hours that we waste every day of our life on trivial pursuits that have nothing to do with the coming glory. And I say that for myself, so I'm speaking to me. All these people just perishing, wasting their lives. We're here tonight because we're seeking the Lord, so praise the Lord for that. But it's so challenging to me, like how to redeem my time, how to take all the emotion I'm feeling through this year and let it refine me for good to be more like Christ and to, to move on to greater things in 2021 than what I let God do in 2020. Like I always say every year, I need to be a better version of me at, on December 31st of every year than I was on January 1st of that year. I need to grow. I want to go deeper. I don't want to be banging pots and pans in heaven. I, I, want, to, I want to be like on a higher level. And the way that that happens is, is God gives us depth of character in the human experience. And more often than not, depth of character comes from suffering and injustices. So whatever's coming, we know that God's on the throne and we're going forward. Because the Bible warns about a great falling away in the last days and we are watching a lot of people fall away. There are, I've said this and I'm certain of it, there are millions of less people going to church in November of 2020 than we're going to church in January of 2020. And God is weeding out churchgoers and self-help seekers. What he is getting to as this year is shaking down is disciples who pick up their cross daily and follow him and don't count their life dear to, dear to themselves that we might please the one who has called us. That's what he's doing right now. There's lots of people confessing Jesus and doing church and doing really things, things and saying things contrary to God's word and his character. That's their business. It's like the 10 spies. That's their business. Because Jesus said, hey, let the wheat and the tares grow together. He lets the fish swim together until he separates the good fish and the bad fish. He lets the goat and the sheep hang out right to the last day, and then he separates them. There's no separating here. We're all in it together, and we'll know when the trumpet sounds and the king comes. And we want to be in the right way, and we want to be in the right place, and truly going from glory to glory. That's what we want to be. So we want to go forward. There's two directions, and we're not going back to Egypt. We're not going backwards. And speaking with the pastor this week about the latest thing come around, you know, with the government and all this stuff this week, he, says, he goes, you know what? We can't do that again. Big church, too. So we can't do that again. We can't go backwards. We've already done that. We can't go backwards. I was like, hey, fair enough. I'm with you. He said, we just can't go backwards. We got to go forward. And there's just a point where common sense says we're going forward and whatever comes, comes. If they're going to come take all this stuff, they're going to come take all this stuff. So why would I live in fear? You know what I'm saying? Like, why would I, why, like, if someone's, if there's a day within a year or two where we can't even meet 
because of teach, believing the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God, they're going to come take it anyways. So like John MacArthur said and Rob McCoy, they can't take what you've already given. And that's really what I'm trying to come to a place with my life, my resources, my personal wealth, the people I love and care about, this church, this congregation. They can't take, evil men can't take what you've already given. Because evil men took a lot from the believers in Russia the last hundred years and even before that. Evil men have definitely taken a lot from the believers in China and other oppressed countries in the last hundred years, even particularly the last 50 under Mao Zedong and his legacy. Evil men, even Pol Pot and what the Khmer Rouge did in Cambodia, they, they, they took so much. There are people that can take so much, but they can't take it if you've already given it to the Lord. So it's forward, onward, and upward. And if God strips us down and breaks us down to get ready for eternity, good for us. Because we can't take anything with us, and I know that in this flesh no good thing dwells in this corruptible flesh. For this light affliction is not worthy to be compared. They're temporal, and they're not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that God has for us. And that is a perspective that we must have. We must, we must enter into maturity, like Hebrews says. We need to be very mature believers right now. We need to be mature and know who we believed in and have our eyes on him and not be moved from our confidence in the word of God. It's forward, onward, and upward. We're not going back to Egypt. I'm not, I'm not going back to Egypt. You go back to Egypt, that's your business. I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm going forward. And then the last thing we see in this text, so there's two perspectives and two directions, and then there's two legacies. This is what we need to be thinking about, two legacies. So as we go forward in chapter 14, in verse 33, God says something about the ten spies. He says this. He commends Joshua and Caleb as being exceptions, but the other, the other ten, they're gone. And, and he says that everyone over 20 who complained against him, they're going to die in the wilderness. No one over 20. He drew a dividing line that day. No one over 20 goes into the promised land. But he says this in verse 31. But your little ones, whom you said, speaking to those who rejected him, whom you said would be victims, like they totally misunderstood God's character. Don't worry about your little ones. God loves your little ones. You, but you said your little ones would be victims. I'm going to bring them in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, your bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do this to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent out to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. That's their legacy. They misunderstood God and his character. Not only did they misunderstand the giants and the fortified cities, they misunderstood God. Like, like God really is going to bring you through the, the Red Sea so he can kill your children in the wilderness? Like, what kind of skewed thinking is that about the heart of God? God's for children, not against children. Like, this is so skewed to even think that way, but that's how they thought. Like, just they had a totally misconception of God's character and his nature and who he is and how he is. He revealed himself to them. He's gracious, long-suffering, merciful. They just, they just didn't get it. They just, they just didn't, they didn't go for the promises. Joshua and Caleb were the exception. They would remain alive and they would make it. And the legacy for these men of unbelief is that their children would bear the brunt of their infidelity. Is that one of the most sobering verses in the Bible, actually? 
that their children would bear the brunt of their spiritual infidelity. God forbid any of our children or our children's children would ever bear the brunt of spiritual infidelity in our life. That is such a sobering thought, but we know it's true, right? We know that. We watch people train wreck their families, and it affects the kids, and it perpetuates from generation to generation, just like the opposite of what is good. When faith is transferred, one generation should proclaim your praises to the next, and it passes on the legacy of faith. It's the exact opposite. So their legacy was they despise the Lord. Their sons and daughters bore the brunt of their infidelity. They were an evil congregation that gathered together against the Lord. They complained against the Lord, and they brought a bad report, and they stumbled a couple million people. They stumbled people. That was their legacy. Not only did they, they got, they got to see the promised land, but they didn't enter in because they didn't believe the promises in the land. Then they stumbled everybody. They kept everyone over 20 from entering in. They stumbled them. Then their children, they said, God's going to strike them down the desert. They didn't even get to see the kids next birthdays because God struck the 10 down right there by a plague. There's a legacy of unbelief and it's never good, but the legacy of faith is awesome. It's awesome because verse 38 said, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jethna, remained alive of all the men who went to spy out the land. So think about this. The numbers are incredible. 603,050 people were in that census. 603,050 people. That is a lot of people. Over 20. Plus those that weren't even numbered, like the wives, the women, and others. Two. Two. So 603,050 people, only two. Two people. The mathematical odds are quite profound right there. Two. Listen, if you're the only one that goes to the narrow gate, make sure you go through the narrow gate. Because broad and wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many go thereby but narrows way that leads to life. We're never a majority, the disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't build a massive movement. He poured into 12 people, one who betrayed him and hung himself, and primarily three who changed the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a narrow gate, and we can never say that. I'm not, I never try to make it more narrow, nor do I try to make it more broad. Joshua and Caleb are amazing. Think about this as they live their life. So, they had to go through the wilderness for 39 years because of what these men did. Think about that. Coming back from 40 days in the promised land, they're so excited. They got the grace. They're like, man, it's crazy good. We got to go now. And then they must have just been in such shock, kind of like a lot of us are right now. What is wrong with these people? How do people call good evil and evil good? How do you get so confused in your mind that you can't recognize something that's clearly evil versus something that's clearly good? And you're stunned. We know what that feels like. That's what they felt like. Do you feel like your dreams are coming true? It's all going to happen? You're 40 years old. Here comes the payday. Not because you manufactured it, but because God promised it. Your kids are younger. Your little girls. They're, you know, it's like it's so exciting. And you, you figure out where you're going to live. You're like, oh, I love the, I love the southern part uh, near Hebron. Look at these. Oh, the hills are awesome. For the next 39 years, you're going to picture those hills, and you're going to talk about them to your children. Your little girls grow up, and they become adults. While you're going through the wilderness, fighting battles against bad guys, and watching people die, everyone over 20. 
but they never moved Caleb from his faith. Joshua, he just got better and better. They, they, their legacy was as they continued to grow in the Lord, even as they were affected by 39 years for 39 days of what these guys did. They had to go through it. But God kept them in it, and they got to go to the promised land. That's a wonderful example for us. Their legacy is they did not lose heart because of the unbelief and the judgment on those who rejected the Lord and his word and the good things of God for their society. They did not lose heart. But God sustained them through it all the way. They got stronger and stronger and stronger. So then when you get to the book of uh, Joshua, and they're going to land. Joshua's this mighty leader, and he's now the leader. 39, you know, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness will refine your leadership skills. And he never stopped believing in those promises. When he defeated Sihon and Og, they were just the next thing in the way of getting to the promises of God that God had for him. There's a lot of giants we got to strike down. He's like, Sihon, Og, whatever. Bring on the Amalekites. Bring on Amalek. God has promised it. Numbers 13, 2, the land I'm giving them, and we're never going to blink, and we're going in, and we're going to take this land because God promised it, not because we're capable or able, but God is on the throne has promised it to us. And Joshua led the people, and then at the end of his life, he addressed the people, right? And he said, you know, I'm going to be gone. He lived 110 years, and when I'm gone, you're going to have to decide who you're going to serve, the gods on the other side of the river, or you're going to serve the Lord. But as for me and my house... We are going to serve the Lord. That's what he said, and that's his legacy. He gave them the zenith, the apex of their nation at its strongest point in their entire history. It was after when Joshua stepped into eternity. He turned it over to them, a beautiful nation, incredible nation. It was all there, and he gave them exhortations for the next generation what to do. And the last thing he said is, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's his legacy. How about Caleb's legacy? Man, he gets there. He tells Joshua, look, you know, we spied it out. You and me were like that. We've seen everything. We're the two survivors of all this. I was 40. Now I'm 86. And listen, I'm as strong as I ever was. You give me the green light, I'll go take that hill. And what did he do? He did. He took Hebron in that area. He whooped those guys. Giants. The Amalek. The uh, Amalek. Yeah. Like the uh, Anakin. The Anakin. <laughs> he was like, he had 39 years walking the desert for 39 years to think about what he's going to do when he sees Anakin. He's like, hey, I waited four decades to get to you guys. Beat it. You know, like that's just he. But he said, my strength is as much now as it was on the day I was ready to do it 40 years ago. That's who we want to be in our 80s, in our faith, in our convictions, in our assurance of who God is and what he's promised to us. We want to be like Caleb. And then Caleb, when he took the land, he said, whoever helps me, whichever young guy wants to step up and have my daughter as a wife, if he go gets it, I'll give you all this too. So the one guy that loved his daughter, he says, I mean, I love, you know, for love, he'll do anything. He's like, he'll wipe out everybody. And he got the land, and Caleb gave, uh, Joshua, or Caleb gave him the land, and then the daughter says uh, to her future husband, hey, ask my dad for all the water, too. As a wedding present, he, he gave them the springs of water. That man was Othniel, his son-in-law. Do you know who the first judge was in the book of Judges? It was Othniel. Caleb's son-in-law was the first judge in the book of Judges. See, that's legacy. That's legacy. So think about this week with Thanksgiving with family and friends and your children. We're the people of faith. And we need to see things through the eyes of faith. We always hear this. We've been hearing this so much in 2020. The optics. Oh, the optics of how things look. Listen, let me give you optics. I got your optics. 
Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming in glory, and he's going to split the Mount of Olives, and every eye is going to see him. How's that for optics? That's the optics of faith for the future. So we're not going to move toward fear. We're going to function in faith, and we're going to be a witness of faith. I'm, I'm tired of trying to be a witness of how compliant I can be to ludicrous things. I want to be a witness of faith. I'm not a rebel in that sense. Our witness is a witness of faith because people are afraid, and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of death, and right now I'm not afraid of bad people. Now, there might be a day I'm afraid of them. You never know, but God will be bigger than my fears on that day, right? And we'll submit those to the Lord. Yeah, the eyes of faith. WG, 2020 needs to be the eyes of faith. We need to roll into 2021 like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. We're not messing around. We are not messing around. We're advancing the kingdom, and let's go. Perspective of faith the direction of faith, and the legacy of faith. For your glory, King Jesus.